The Water Cooler is a live storytelling event performed monthly at Bats Theatre in Wellington. This month's theme was When I Was Your Age. A small reminder that the stories were recorded live, so the language and themes may not be for everyone. Originating from Canada, Rob has found a nice home with New Zealand stand-up and has become a mainstay on the scene. The highlight of his experience, receiving an honorary mention in the 2013 National Rawquest Finals. A mixture of observational and storytelling, Rob's punchlines seem to come out of nowhere and tend to come often, always leaving the crowd delighted. Rob co-runs one of VK's weekly shows, The Medicine. This is Rob's story. Can I please get you all to put your hands together for Rob Harris? Thank you. This is something that I, um, I thought of uh, would just be like a letter from the future me to, to me today. Um, and so it's just, greetings from the future, Rob. I hope you're doing well. Actually, I know you're doing well because I used to be you and these are some good days. You're producing comedy shows. You're producing award-winning comedy shows. Producing award-winning comedy shows every Wednesday at 8.30 at VK's on Dixon Street. <laughs> Occasionally, you'll see Billy T nominations like Alice Bryan every Wednesday, 8.30, Dixon Street. And things are going great for you. They're going very well. You've got a job. You have lots of free time. Everything's amazing. You're about to marry the love of your life, Catherine. This is great. When I was your age, I was living in what was called Wellington, New Zealand, or as it's called now, Sector 1148, <laughs> Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> Thanks, TPPA. <laughs> it was a time when gay marriage was a thing. Those marriages between one man and one woman people, ha <laughs> ha, they didn't stand a chance. These days, there's no such thing as a man or a woman. <laughs> and I sure am glad I'm married because I can't figure out who the hell I'd supposed to be attracted to if I was single. <laughs> These days, <laughs> old people hate technology as much as they hate young people having sex, just like it was back in your time. <laughs> when I was your age, I used to think I knew everything. I still do. <laughs> when I was your age, I used to think I was going to live forever. And I think that's what um, we need to talk about today, that you're not going to live forever. First of all, please stop smoking. I know it's the most amazing thing ever, but it's not always going to be the most amazing thing ever. Please stop smoking. Your family isn't going to be around forever. I'm not, I'm not close to my family at all. They all live in Canada. Uh, I might get a call occasionally on my birthday. Um, I have a brother who I'm friends with on Facebook, but who I haven't seen in 30 years. I think he has one kid. He might have two. <laughs> I have nieces and nephews. I don't know their names. I don't even know if some of them exist. Never mind how old they are. Very not tight with my family. And a lot of people, they don't understand this. Because for them, family is the cornerstone of their lives. And we, our family, we care for each other. We love each other, we know that we love each other, but we don't talk very much. So when I get a letter from home, it's always very exciting for me. And I got a letter from my dad recently uh, that had a breakdown of my family ancestry that actually shows I have family in New Zealand. Now I've chosen to live in New Zealand, but I have family here by coincidence. Um, the family, the letter that I have here um, is really a perfect demonstration of how not close to my family I am. And it goes like this, from my father. The story goes that my grandfather and one of his brothers were sent abroad, granddad as I called them to Canada, and one of his brothers to New Zealand. 
Whichever one of them obtained a job and was able to sponsor the rest of the family, the family would choose. New Zealand won. My grandfather was supposed to join his family, but in the meantime, World War I broke out, and Grad Dan went to war. He got married in Canada after the war, never went to New Zealand, and so never saw his family again. <laughs> Take care, Dad. <laughs> so we're clearly, we're not, we're not very close. Like, and uh, so we're not a close family. We, we do keep in touch, but we're not super close. I learned that my grandfather was actually a very famous musician after he died. Like, after his funeral, actually. So someone handed me, like, a half-page article in the Toronto Star. It was a big obituary that was written by somebody with a huge photo of him. I never even knew half the things that were in the thing. It was, it was something that I'd learned. The funeral itself was an odd one, um, because it didn't really matter that I didn't know him. I don't think anybody else who was there knew him all that well, <laughs> either. Um, at one point, the priest had to stop carrying the ashes to the grave to turn around and wait for the people 50 yards behind who just started to stop and have a chat outside the church door. Like... Come on, guys, we got, some, we got time. We got to get some more people to come along. Like, did they even care? Did they even care? Um, these people, they weren't even good enough to call what I would call telemarketer friends. And so telemarketer friends are what, um, what I like to refer to as the kind of people who you, you might work with or you might have gone to school with them, um, who you're very polite to when you're speaking with them. But if they ever ask you to commit to something, you're like, no, nah, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> but, my wife handles these sorts of things. I don't, I don't, I don't want to engage. No, thank you. Like, I haven't given you any of the details yet. And you're like, that's fine. That's not, <laughs> I'm not interested. Um, one day, out of the blue, I got a Facebook message from a friend of mine, Doris. And the message went like this. I said, hey, Rob, I've actually been thinking a lot about you lately. And I did want to mention this to you a few days ago when I sent you a message. But I wasn't quite sure if I should or not. But I talked to Sadia, and we both agreed that it would be okay. So here goes. I'm like, fucking, this is a good start to a message. This is amazing. This woman is in love with me. This is all the shit that's going through my head. I've already planned our first date. I know where we're going to go. I know what we're going to eat. I'm going to wear one. I've picked the one of the two nice shirts that I own. I know what's going to happen. This is great. She's Asian. I've never fucked an Asian. This is all a series of firsts. This is very exciting for me. This is very good. This is the best message I've ever had. The message continues. Do you remember Samir? Hmm. Well, he was diagnosed with cancer a few years back and about two weeks ago was rushed to the hospital. Doctors are, doctors are estimating that he has four weeks to live. He won't be going home anymore and will spend the rest of his time in the hospital. A bunch of us are going down this weekend to see him. Would you like to come along? Well, the high that I had that was up here has now crashed into the floor very, very fast. I'm like, holy shit, I'm clearly not going to fuck this Asian. Um, <laughs> And Samir, is my telemarketer friend, is going to die. Um, it was a hard decision to make, uh, but I went with Doris and several other people um, to, the, to go and visit my telemarketer friend, Samir. When we got to the hospital, I was the last one in line walking into the room, and everyone in front of me stopped and like, said hello to his dad, who was standing just outside. And I was the last one. And as I walked by, he sort of stopped me and said, hey, hang on a second, who are you? I was like, oh, my name's Rob. I like, Rob who? Oh, Rob Harris. I don't, I don't know you. I was like, oh, my name's Rob. We went to, I went to high school with Samir. I'm just, you know, just here to say hello. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard Samir talk about you in any of his stories or anything at all. Your name completely does not ring any bells whatsoever. It was at this point that I'd started to second guess my decision to come along. I was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? Is this the terms and conditions of the telemarketer friend contract that I signed? <laughs> By coming along, like, Jesus Christ, I'm here. This is your, I'm at your son's deathbed. Like, give me a break. 
And um, I think that was about the time that he sort of realized what he was doing, and he, and he let me in. Um, he's had passed fine. Even Samir was surprised to see me, I'll admit. Um, the poor guy. Uh, but to his credit, and the credit of his character, while he was lying on the bed, dying, with a massive chunk cut out of his skull from where the doctors tried to remove the cancer. Obviously, he's been lying for a while. His feet are swollen. His little catheter bag is full. He sees me, clearly being uncomfortable, very, being very, very shy. And he does the best that he could do to make me feel comfortable in that situation. It was a hell of a day, uh, but I never fucked Doris. Um, and about two weeks later, I believe Samir, Samir passed away. Um, the last thing here is a story about um, in October 2015, I was in Canada, and I had the fortune of being able to see my grandmother for one last time. Uh, she was 93 years old and in palliative care in the Canadian province of Prince Edward Island, or PEI. Uh, my time was short when I was back home, and even though it was very, very expensive to go and see her, I got to spend a night with her, and it was definitely nothing I would ever regret. I landed at the airport and I met my dad and we drove to see her right away. Um, she looked like one of those old white-haired ladies I've caught glimpses of through open hospital doors when I've had the misfortune of also getting sick. When I first met my niece, Lily, she was five days old and she was the smallest person I've ever seen. The second smallest person I've ever seen was my grandmother that day. It was hard to be there. She wasn't awake much, but she knew who I was when I was there and told me she loved me and I looked different to her every time she saw me. This is probably testament to how little we actually time we got to spend together. Um, there wasn't much to do there, really, except hang out and read some of the death books that were lying around. Um, Gone from My Sight was the title of one that I remember. Uh, feel free to read it. It's very good. Spoiler alert, the main character dies in the end. <laughs> um, she was 93 years old. She was one of 10 children in her family and one of only two who were left. I keep thinking about how she must have seen all of her schoolhood, childhood friends pass away or disappear from her life, and then her adult friends would have done exactly the same thing. She lived just longer than Yogi Berra and was now sitting on this bed, frail and alone. She'd been living in PEI for several years, having been taken there after a fall by, by my aunt so that her, my aunt could take better care of her. Or kidnapped, as my grandmother called it. Picked up from a wife that she had known for decades to go and live with her daughter among strangers on a foreign island. Um, after some time, both my aunt and my father had moved away from where she lived, leaving her utterly alone. When I was there, I knew, and it was clear, that she was going to die. She wasn't eating anything, she slept most of the time, and being pumped full of morphine, which I imagine was probably the best part of it. And I was watching her as she slept, watching her chest move up and down with her breath, and wanting it all just to end. I wanted it to end for this woman who used to take care of me when I was sick as a kid and play games with me and hug me close and she had the best attitude and the best sense of humor that you could ever have on a woman and I wanted it to stop. I watched her breathing. At first I was wondering if she would just stop breathing while I was there. And then I started to hope that she would stop breathing and after a while I was praying to anything that it would stop. Please, please, this woman has lived a good life. It's time to end. That didn't happen, so God is bullshit. <laughs> and as it came for me to leave, I leaned into her and I said, Goodbye, Grandma. We'll see you in the next place. And she said, We'll see you at home. She died about a month later, and in her will, she said she didn't want a memorial service. Excuse me, I wasn't expecting this. Comedian. Um, <clears throat> 
She didn't want a memorial service. It wouldn't have mattered. There was nobody left anyway. Um, not even a telemarketer friend for my dad to be an asshole to at the hospitals. <laughs> then I started to question, when is the best time to die? I mean, I've been to parties before, and you're having a good time, and then one of your friends falls down and hurts themselves, and you're like, well, fuck's sake, there goes the fun evening. Completely gone. Like, you don't want to be that guy who dies, and then just becomes the end of a bad story. Like, oh, I remember we were at that awesome party, and then Rob choked and died on a lemon and a tequila shot. <laughs> that was so much fun, and I was just about to close Doris. <laughs> like, nah, now I'm cock-blocking a guy, and I'm dead. Like, fuck, it's just not a good story, is it? I've also thought that you'd not, never want to die near a big holiday. Like, you wouldn't get hit by a car, and then the story becomes, well, then Dad got hit by a car, and that's how I learned that there is no Santa Claus. I think the best time would be on your birthday, unless you were born on Christmas um, or having a big party. I've passed so many headstones in cemeteries where the person almost made it to their next birthday but just couldn't quite hold on those last few weeks. And then I was like, oh, so close to 90. No. But to die exactly on your birthday won't upset anyone. You've made it to the next step, and you're only ruining your own party, so no one's really going to care. But which would you prefer? To die young, like Samir, but surrounded by close friends, family, and some random guy who you knew in high school? <laughs> or to live till the very end of your days like Grandma, all her family living abroad, all her friends long gone? This woman had nine grandchildren, and none of them came. You live so long that you don't even get a funeral and you slip away into nothingness, a life forgotten except in the memories of a very few people who still know you. When I was your age, Rob, I didn't think about these things. And maybe I should have. So that I could take all the days from this day to take stock of what I have, be happy for what I've got, be closer to those who are around me, and to live life in every breath. Thank you very much. If you've got a great story to tell or would like to hear previous episodes, you can visit us at thewatercooler.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. The episode is produced by Alice Bryan, that's me, and also hosted by stand-up comedian Alice Bryan, who is also me. So make sure you get to the live show and come and see the magic happen. Also, I'll take this moment to pitch my show that I'm doing in this year's comedy festival as a 2016 Billy T nominee. My one-hour-long solo show is called Brainstorm, and it happens in both Auckland and Wellington, running over five nights in each city, mid-April to mid-May. Find out more info on facebook.com forward slash Comedian. This show would not be possible without our founder and director, Sarah Finnegan-Walsh. Special thanks to Radio New Zealand and The Wireless for their continued support. This podcast was brought to you by New Zealand On Air. Join us next month for more stories from The Water Cooler.